Chapter 1, A Changing City Oh, how time can fly. Within a short period, so much changed while other things remain completely the same. An entire year was now in the history books, but that didn't stop a new scandal from brewing in the background. Sarah's heroics, Peachy's death, and Max's new career status were all old news stories no one talked about anymore, but what lay in the future was anyone's guess. Nevertheless, the city kept moving as it always did. People were thrilled watching the charming Max take the anchor chair each night, broadcasting the latest news. His career had grown leaps and bounds since the days of chasing his would-be hero, and his increasing influence over the city was at an all-time high. It goes without saying, Peachy's death took a heavy toll on Sarah. She had been her right hand and confidant for years, even if the feeling wasn't mutual. Yes, Peachy was troublesome and flawed, but Sarah desperately missed her nevertheless. Yet, she knew life was for the living, and she had no choice but to move on. It goes without saying, change is inevitable, whether welcomed or expected, and Sarah's new path in life started the night Peachy died. After the police and paramedics cleared out the hotel that night, Max stayed behind. He knew Sarah needed him, and he felt drawn to her. He wasn't ready to admit it, but he was falling in love, and in return, Sarah let her guard down. He prepared a warm bath and poured her a tall glass of sherry to settle her nerves, as he watched her from the corner of the room. As she slowly slipped into the bathtub, he could see years of stress melt away. He watched and waited to help in any way he could, but he had only one thought. How in the hell did this happen? He felt like the luckiest man on earth and knew this scenario was every man's fantasy, but he was the fortunate one. He realized he had found his would-be hero and the woman of his dreams in the same person, as she moved amidst the soapy water, Max noticed each movement was more seductive than the next. He knew this wasn't the right time to make a move, but it was hard to control himself. Sarah reached for something to dry off with, that was his cue to spring into action. He grabbed a heated towel and wrapped it around her dripping wet body. He tried to wipe the creepy grin off his face, but he just couldn't help himself. She got out of the water and leaned against his chest. His heart fluttered. He'd been waiting for another chance to touch her. He picked her up, and she laid her head against his neck. Max felt like her champion, and Sarah felt like an average woman for the first time. Now she knew what she'd been missing, and she liked it. It was slightly weird, but Max had won her trust. He carried her to her oversized bed and laid her down to rest. He had to keep reminding himself she had just been through a traumatic experience. So he laid her down and sat on the edge of the bed, waiting to fulfill whatever she needed. Still wanting to touch her, he waited and wondered how such a small woman could possess the strength of Samson. She was dainty and delicate, but he'd witnessed what she could do. He realized most men in his position would feel intimidated, but it was a big turn-on to him. His mind raced back and forth, fighting the urge to feel her warm skin, and then she moved. He couldn't let this moment pass. It was like he'd willed the towel to shift. He immediately rushed to her side and kissed the small of her back. She turned to find his piercing eyes focused on her. She was used to men gawking at her, but somehow his stare felt different. She reached up and unbuttoned his shirt as his hand trembled up her thigh. He felt like he was slipping into heaven. The following morning, they both realized things had changed. They didn't know why, but both felt they needed each other. 
while everything else was adjusting, Oracle remained the hottest club in town. Of course, the regulars never left, but in the mix were a few new faces, yet the 13th floor didn't suffer the same fate. The days when privileged horny men piled into the third elevator for Sarah's seductive dance were gone. It never reopened after Peachy's death. Men across the city waited and wondered if there would ever be another code night, but not Max. He never told her to stop dancing but was glad she did. Looking from the outside, one would guess the city of brotherly love hadn't changed, but they would be wrong. The city was deceptively functioning, with little subtle changes all around. A slight toxic feeling grew each day, followed by an overwhelming unknown gripping fear. Most blamed the city's foul mood on the upcoming elections, but Sarah knew it was much more than that. It felt like the calm before the storm, and she knew the bloodline would be at its center. But for now, Sarah pushed those thoughts to the back of her mind, because she was having the time of her life. She was no longer the rich woman with agoraphobia. Of course, no one from her inner circle would ever call her that to her face, but it didn't mean they didn't think it. However, perceptions were changing. Now they just called her Max's girlfriend, and she loved it. Her relationship with Max truly changed her life for the better. Yet, everyone wasn't thrilled about their budding relationship. Max's management over the media was growing, and to the surprise of some, Sarah controlled just about everything else. City's elites feared, as a couple, they'd become an unstoppable force. You see, running the 13th floor gave Sarah leverage. The code list contained the names of powerful men across the state, and when she called, they answered. No one publicly said anything negative about their relationship as of yet, but Sarah knew the day was coming. Speaking of powerful men, Mayor Bradford wasn't happy about the missing code nights either, but he wasn't so quiet about it. He wasn't running his mouth publicly, but Max was getting an earful. No one wished harder for another night of ecstasy. He'd been a regular at the club, and now with so much free time on his hands, problems he'd mindlessly endured became unavoidable. Indeed, a storm was brewing, and another bloodline heir would be exposed before it was all over. But for now, something else was underfoot. As usual, Max returned to the Forester after another long day at the station and joined Sarah on the rooftop. With a warm smile, she greeted him and waited to hear about his day. Honey, there's a new rumor floating around. The chit-chat was gaining steam and was on the lips of every Philadelphian, and Mayor Bradford was at the center of it. This bomb had been patiently waiting to explode for years, and Sarah wasn't surprised this day had come. Let me guess, the rumor is about Bradford and Carmen. So you've heard. Well, the station wants an exclusive. Most people knew the mayor was in a loveless marriage because he flirted with everything in a skirt. Plus, Carmen had a weird way of showing her disdain. She was often missing in action, and when she did show up, it was clear the two weren't a loving couple. Refusing to make public appearances was one thing, but a few years ago, Carmen made headlines for cussing out a reporter for calling her the first lady of the city. And then there was the second home to take into consideration. One would have to be blind not to see, their marriage was troubled. Nevertheless, it's big news when the mayor decides to leave his wife, but there are always two sides to every story. The public was now demanding answers, and the mayor was tight-lipped. Most assumed another woman caused their breakup, especially with Bradford's seedy reputation, but the dirty details were more salacious than anyone could ever imagine.
Chapter 2, Exposing Secrets It might shock everyone to find out, Carmen had reasonable explanations for her bad behavior, but few cared to know the truth. It was easier and perhaps more fun for the public to speculate about what they thought was occurring. The same was true about a lot of things in the city. Deals done in the dark remained in the twilight zone unless there was a big enough incentive to expose the truth, and Carmen's past was now big news and coming out of the shadows. Overnight, Carmen and her family appeared in Philly like a flash of lightning. It was weird. No one knew much about them, but they took a prominent seat with the city's elites, with no questions asked. Within a short time, Carmen snuggled up with a few powerful men against her better judgment, while her father and two brothers cozied up to the rest. Philly was funny that way, but that's probably true for most major cities. You know what they say, when money talks, BS walks. Don't get it wrong, everyone knew the Grants must have greased a few wheels on the way up, but why they left California like thieves in the night was a mystery. With Carmen now in the middle of a nasty divorce, more secrets were sure to fall out, and the public had their ears glued for the latest. Max had already done some digging on his own and had uncovered some dirt, but it was nothing he was ready to report on, yet it was clear, the Grants didn't have clean hands. Apparently, Carmen's oldest brother got mixed up in serious trouble back in California. There were several variations on what truly happened, but the scandal was big enough to run the family out of town. Why they picked Philadelphia was anyone's guess. At the time, Bradford wasn't the mayor. He was a member of the city council with loads of ambition. Most women worth their salt considered him to be the bachelor worth catching. He wasn't the most attractive man, but he was passable and charming when he wanted to be. Yet, it was his status that drew and kept the women coming back for more. That fact didn't go unnoticed by Carmen's father. He had a knack for spotting talent and latched onto Bradford like a dog with a bone. The only way he could keep the golden boy close was to make him a part of the family. First, he befriended Bradford and slowly moved the women in his life out. Next, he pushed his daughter into Bradford's face. Carmen didn't have much of a say. She was totally under her father's thumb, and he controlled every aspect of her life. In short order, Carmen and Bradford were married, but unbeknownst to the groom, her heart secretly remained with someone else. Life moved on, and Bradford's dreams of becoming mayor came true. His popularity grew. As it flourished, his new bride slowly faded from the limelight. Her family, on the other hand, didn't. One would have thought they were born and raised in Philly. They had their greasy little fingers in every power move across the city, and that's when the grants went too far, they just didn't know it yet. One of their underhanded schemes involved buying up prime real estate by having it rezoned. Owners of established businesses were either forced to close or relocate. The Forrester Hotel was on that list, and they came after Sarah with both barrels. But Sarah wasn't going anywhere without a fight. The hotel was all she had, and she wasn't letting it go without taking someone with her. The dispute landed the parties in court, but to Sarah's dismay, the case leaned in the Grant's favor. The Grants had all their ducks in a row, and the legal system wasn't giving Sarah any way out. As the conflict heated up, people told the Grants to back off, that they didn't want to force Sarah's hand, but the father laughed the warning off. He'd underestimated what Sarah would or could do. He believed they would win no matter what. He was wrong. A select few had come face to face with Sarah's dark side. Although these were minor scrimmages, people learned she was a shrewd businesswoman. So, when she had Carmen's youngest brother kidnapped and held for ransom, no one batted an eye. 
The Grants reached out for help, but their pleas fell on deaf ears. No one was willing to take sides against Sarah. With allies turning their backs on the Grants, they feared what would happen next and quickly withdrew the matter from court. Now Max was willingly about to stick his head in the lion's den, by reporting on the mayor's failed marriage. Upon returning home, Max found Sarah waiting for him on the rooftop. Hi honey, today was a long day. The station wants an exclusive on the mayor's divorce, but I want to hear from Bradford first. Max and Bradford had grown quite close over the past year and with orders to report on the mayor's crumbling marriage, he wanted to give the man a head start, but Sarah was worried. Getting involved with Bradford's messy divorce could spell trouble. Sure, it was his job to report the news, but it would only take one false move to reignite an old fire. Sarah was worried. Why do you look worried? I'm not going to do anything to intentionally hurt Bradford. I know you've got Bradford's back. I'm worried about the Grants. I've had bad dealings with them in the past. If they perceive you're spinning the story for Bradford, all hell will break loose. Just from reporting on a divorce? You know it's more than that. Sarah explained her past dealings with the Grants and how she'd kidnapped one of the brothers. The look on Max's face spoke volumes. You had someone kidnapped. How did I miss that? You know everything that happens in Philly doesn't make the news, right? Sarah, I can't believe you did that. You would take a life to save this hotel. I thought you were better than that. I didn't kill him, I just held him hostage for a while. The argument continued as passions turned into judgment. Sarah stood firm that she'd made the right decision, but Max still felt she had gone too far. The debate went on until they both fell asleep. The next day, Max got up early, skipped breakfast, and headed straight to the mayor's office without saying anything to Sarah. As Max hit the steps of City Hall, the whispering began. Although no one made direct eye contact, everyone knew why he was there. The rumor surrounding the mayor's failed marriage was hot news and everyone wanted the inside scoop. Mr. Mayor, I hope I can get you out of this mess. Max walked into the mayor's office expecting to see a broken man, but that wasn't the case. Bradford was sitting at his desk, smiling like a Cheshire cat that had just swallowed a whole canary. Max had seen that look before. He quickly closed the door. Bradford, please tell me you're not looking at dirty websites on the job. No. I know I'm on the city's computer. I only look at that stuff on my burner phone. Thank you very much. Thank God. Is it true? Are you and Carmen divorcing? Hell yeah. You don't know what that woman has been up to. Why didn't you tell me your marriage was in trouble? Because I really didn't know what to say. Bradford's chipper mood concerned Max. He was acting like he didn't have a care in the world. Max wondered, was it just a front, or was something else going on? Listen Max, I'm not going to make you beg for the story. So, I'll tell you what happened. Be careful Mayor. It's on the record. In typical reporter fashion, Max grabbed his recorder and pressed the power button. I'm ready when you are. Bradford wiped the sweat from his forehead and began the story. A week ago, I went to the house outside the city. I wanted to surprise my wife. I don't know what I was thinking, but I missed her. I was expecting to find her home doing nothing as usual, but I was wrong. Carmen the Ice Queen had another man in the house. Max dropped the recorder. Come again. Carmen had what in the house? 
Another man. When I arrived with my security detail, I could feel something was off. I ordered a few guys to the back of the house as I entered from the front. Carmen appeared from nowhere and stood in the middle of the room. She was half-dressed and looked shocked to see me. I quickly scanned the room and asked her if she was okay. Her hair was a mess, and she looked terrified. At first, I thought a burglar was in the house. As I stood waiting for her to answer me, a security officer appeared with a tall man in his grasp. Carmen quickly rushed to his side and grabbed his hand. Before I could say anything, she yelled, What are you doing here? Can you imagine the nerve of her asking me why I was standing in my own home? Well, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was obvious. She was having an affair with this man right under my nose. I ordered my security guys outside and sat down. I tried to stay calm as the two fools joined me on the sofa, but I must admit, inside I was going through every emotion known to man. Max was shocked by the revelation and didn't know what to say. After a brief moment of silence, Bradford continued talking. You know, it felt weird watching the two together. Carmen was acting like a different person. Then Bradford dropped the bombshell. Man, I thought she wasn't interested in sex. I thought she just wasn't an intimate person by nature, but boy was I wrong. It turns out her father forced her to marry me. Max switched off the recorder. The statement explained a lot. For once, Bradford's hands were clean, and the revelation explained Carmen's bad behavior in public, but the affair didn't seem like other people's business. Bro, do you know how many sexless nights I've had while she's been creeping around with some guy called August Wayne? Max tried not to make direct eye contact. The conversation was already uncomfortable, but this was awkward as hell. He knew Bradford was just venting, but what was he supposed to say? What did you do after talking with them? There was nothing I could do. Can you imagine the neighbors calling the police on me? So, I got up and came back to the city. Bro, I'm not going to lie to you. That was a lot, but I think I can spin the story. What do you think about this? Starting a family caused an irreconcilable difference. That could work, but you have a bigger problem. I know, and I'm working on that now. What do you mean you're working on it now? Bradford, we've never had an unmarried governor. You know how the people of the state feel. What the hell are you planning? Can you two work it out until after the elections? No. Hell no, I refuse to stay married to that woman. I've got something better in mind. The Cheshire Cat smile returned to his face as he turned his computer monitor around. Max slowly looked at the images, but he couldn't believe his eyes. Have you lost your freaking mind? Max took a second look just to ensure he was reading the website correctly. A mail-order bride, that's your solution. You're the mayor for God's sake. You can't be serious. Chapter 3, The Beginning Plot It was exactly six months to the day since Max hit the airways with the breaking story of the mayor's crumbling marriage. The official cause of irreconcilable difference was half true, but the dirty details were left out. Although the couple secretly separated months prior, they put on a great show until after Max's exclusive broadcast aired, which wasn't hard since they had two homes. Surprisingly people of Philadelphia accepted the answer without blinking an eye. 
That was shocking, but even more surprising was the men in Carmen's family. Their non-reaction didn't feel normal. They were as quiet as church mice, which meant they were up to something. Even members of the inner circle were closed-lipped, most knew the sordid details, but no one was willing to publicly say anything. The silence and secret whispers caused Max and Sarah to sit on pins and needles, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Sarah knew the Grants wouldn't remain quiet forever. The inevitable was bound to happen, but when, was anyone's guess. Nevertheless, the divorce proceedings went off without a hitch. It was the quickest and quietest dissolution of a marriage in the history of Philadelphia, especially because it involved the seated mayor. But the stillness of the matter had Sarah shaken. The Grants could pop out of the woodwork at any moment. However, average folk continued their daily routines, unaware the mayor's scandal could return with a vengeance. Bradford, needless to say, was the happiest man on earth, bouncing around the city as if he didn't have a care in the world. It was hard keeping him in check, although Max desperately tried his best. A schoolboy spirit had taken over Bradford, and he was acting like a kid in a candy shop. He knew the race for the governor's seat was just a year and a half away, but the sweet smell of freedom was carrying him elsewhere. If Bradford was to become governor of the state, there was still a lot of work to do, but at the moment, babysitting the horny mayor was Sarah and Max's only course of action. Yet, there was no time to cry over spilled milk. The pre-campaign season was just around the corner. There was no word on who Bradford would face in the coming election, but his marital situation would definitely be a strike against him. With Sarah reluctantly keeping a keen eye on all the moving parts, she watched Carmen peacefully fade further into the shadows, and that was a good thing. You know what they say, a happy wife equals a happy life. Well, in this case, a happy ex-wife equals fewer scandals. Carmen's dreams of getting rid of Bradford and laying in August's arms had come true. It was still too early for her to parade her man around town, but Sarah imagined Carmen was having the time of her life behind closed doors. So, with Carmen getting her freak on, Bradford decided now was the time to narrow down his computer loves. He would have loved to date them all, but at least common sense and half his brain was still working. Out of the bunch, three women would get to know the mayor a lot better. No matter how hard Sarah and Max tried to talk him off the idea, nothing seemed to penetrate his thick skull. He was sure this was the best course of action. He felt the ball was in his court, and he loved every minute of it. To ensure he didn't marry another ice queen, Bradford wanted to set up secret meetings with the women to get more familiar. However, Max and Sarah couldn't sit this one out. Watching from the sidelines wasn't an option. They knew leaving Bradford to his own devices would destroy his career. Sarah imagined headlines reading, Sex-starved mayor marries a mail-order bride, and although that was true, it wasn't a good look. The scandal would be never-ending, but Bradford wasn't thinking of the consequences. He was playing right into the hands of his opposition, giving them enough ammunition to take him out. Max was desperate to help, Sarah, not so much. It was like walking on eggshells for her. As Bradford tried to set up his secret hookups with the ladies, Sarah finally took control of the situation and called him. Hello Mayor Bradford, it's me, Sarah. Well, look what God can do. I finally got the finest woman in the city to call me. The pleasure is all mine's. Sarah avoided the small talk and got right down to business. I've been speaking with Max about your situation. I wish we could talk you off this plan, but since you're determined, here are a few tips. You can't have strange women running in and out of your home. Plus, you can't date these women publicly. 
And for heaven's sake, don't bring them to your office. Sarah, you're worried about nothing. I got this. Bradford, just let me help you. I have a better solution. Send the women to me. You're willing to put the girls up for me? Yes, you're at the hotel all the time anyway, no one will suspect a thing. I see Max is rubbing off on you. Thanks for the help. I would have never imagined the almighty Sarah personally getting involved in my love life, and by the way, the ladies don't know I'm the mayor. So you're not crazy after all. That was a good move. Forward the ladies, the hotel's address, and I'll take care of everything else. As Sarah hung up the phone, Max gently kissed her forehead. Thank you, Bradford really does need our help. Max knew Sarah really didn't want any part in the whole shady plot. He assumed she was helping because of their disagreement. He was right but thankful nevertheless. Sarah quickly ordered three separate rooms at the Forester for the arriving women. It would be their home during this crazy selection process. Max, Bradford, and Sarah quickly closed ranks and grew closer than thieves while waiting for the women to arrive. It was driving them all a little stir-crazy, and Bradford's giddy schoolboy nerves weren't helping. Chapter 4, Here Comes the Bride It was just like any other ordinary day when the first potential bride walked into the Forester as if she owned it. Secretly watching from a security monitor, Sarah knew something was wrong from the first glance. The woman's blouse was too tight. Don't get it wrong, it was trendy, yet two sizes too small. Maybe she thought it would make her breasts look bigger, but it didn't. The gaps between the buttons just made her look cheap. With each passing glance, something new stuck out like a sore thumb. The whole shabby put-together ensemble was named Tiffany, and nothing about her screamed First Lady. Her shoes were too big, her skirt was too short, and of course, don't forget about the tight shirt. Her outfit screamed Lady of the Night. Correction, it was yelling Cheap Streetwalker. Nevertheless, she sashayed into the hotel as if it was the local watering hole. God help us, this one is trouble, and she hasn't even opened her mouth yet. Without hesitation, Sarah grabbed the phone and called the front desk. She could tell Tiffany was about to put on a show. Get the floozy out of the lobby before someone sees her. Take her to room 1101 and don't give her a key. Sarah knew that wouldn't hold Tiffany long, but it would definitely slow her down. The clerk quickly scanned the lobby, but Tiffany wasn't hard to miss. She was standing in the middle of the room, twirling a knockoff purse and smacking on a wad of gum. That must be her. He quickly walked over and politely touched her shoulder. Half shocked and a bit agitated, Tiffany turned around as if the clerk shouldn't have touched her. Madam, please come with me. Before he could get another word out, Tiffany's wad of gum fell out of her mouth and hit the floor. The clerk tried not to laugh, yet he couldn't help but feel embarrassed for her. Instead of making matters worse, he quickly motioned a janitor over to clean up the mess. Unashamed, Tiffany smiled, exposing her missing molars as she grabbed another stick of gum from her purse and began to flirt. Well, aren't you a cutie? The clerk knew Sarah was watching his interaction with Tiffany, so he tried to remain professional, but Tiffany wouldn't let up. 
She gently grazed her hand across his chest and waited for a response, but the clerk retained his stoic demeanor. Again, madam, please come with me. Yet Tiffany had her mind made up not to go quietly. She wanted to ensure everyone in the lobby noticed her getting what she perceived as the red carpet treatment. Is my room ready? Pray it meets my standards. The clerk dropped his head. She was putting twenty on ten, and he knew his attempt to get her out of the lobby quickly and as quietly as possible had failed. As expected, everyone in the room turned to see what was happening while Tiffany struck a pose, as if she was a superstar, and then ordered the guy to grab her bags. The clerk looked down, expecting to find some luggage, but there was nothing but an old ripped leather bag. Of course, it was overstuffed, and he swore he saw a pair of her undies stuck in the zipper. Nevertheless, he reached down and picked up the bag, as one of the old weathered straps gave way. Sarah couldn't help but laugh. It was like watching a bad reality show. This woman is a complete mess. She might be a good lay, but she's definitely not first lady material. What is Bradford thinking? Never mind, I just answered my own damn question. She knew Bradford needed her help, but maybe she was too late. If all the women were like Tiffany, they were all in big trouble. Finally, the clerk, along with help from security, escorted Tiffany to her room. About an hour later, the second potential bride walked into the hotel. Sarah watched her closely. Hello, do you have a reservation for Denise Thomas? She was poised, soft-spoken, and had a beautiful smile. Compared to Tiffany, Denise was 100% better, but there was still one big glaring problem. Sarah spotted it from a mile away. She was a plain Jane. Denise didn't have a seductive bone in her body and seemed a little bashful. Knowing Bradford's personality, Sarah knew they would never make it as a couple. Sarah tilted her head and stared at the monitor, trying to imagine her with a makeover. Even envisioning her with different clothes, makeup, and a new hairstyle failed to improve what she was seeing. This is somebody's church auntie. Bradford knows, good and well, he wouldn't be happy with this woman. Then the reality of the situation hit her. Oh God no, say it's not so. Bradford you dirty dog. Don't tell me you're trying to pick a wife and a girlfriend too. As she wondered whether there was a secret plan she knew nothing about unfolding, the third lady walked in. Half afraid to look, Sarah peeked through her fingers, but was pleasantly surprised. She dropped her hands and moved closer to the monitor. This woman didn't have to say a word. She had the attention of everybody in the lobby from the moment she entered the room. She walked to the front desk as if casting a mystical spell on people as she passed them. She was stunning. Hello, I'd like to check in. Do you have a reservation for Amber Franklin? Thank God, finally, a good match. Welcome to the Forrester Hotel. She's the next first lady of the city. Chapter 5, Special Delivery After ensuring the women were settled in their rooms safely, it was time to begin this bizarre dating scenario. Yet, the group still had to be cautious because even the forester had prying eyes. Nevertheless, everyone involved was eager to proceed with this very unusual dating arrangement.
Sarah called Bradford to give him an update. Plus, she needed to know when he would arrive. The phone barely rang before Bradford picked up. Hello, Bradford speaking. Hi Mayor, it's Sarah. The ladies are here. So my beauties have arrived. What do you think? Have you sat down with any of them? Bradford, you're pressing your luck. I'm not going to pick your wife for you. I've only agreed to provide the hideout, the rest is up to you. Come on, Sarah, I need your help. No one is a better judge of women than you. Which one do you like? Although Sarah still didn't want to be in the middle of Bradford's love life, she could hear the desperation in his voice. Bradford, it's not important what I think about the ladies. The success or failure of this crazy adventure is yours alone. Plus, I haven't talked with any of them yet. Bradford wasn't going to let her off the hook that easy. He knew that was a bold-faced lie. Sarah judged women all the time with one glance. So, he felt like he had no choice but to beg. Sarah, please. I really do need your help. My career is riding on this, and my heart can't live through another bad marriage. The desperate plea finally pulled at Sarah's heartstrings. She didn't want to sway Bradford's decision, but the anguish in his voice made her reveal who she felt was the front-runner. Listen Bradford, I'm not telling you to pick Amber, but in my opinion, she seems like the best fit. The conversation made Sarah see Bradford through a new set of eyes. He was vulnerable and not as self-confident as he would like people to think. She still didn't want to be in the middle of his harebrained scheme, but she was committed to doing a little more. With that in mind, she ordered three new dresses for the women. It was the least she could do. When Max returned home, he seemed just as excited as Bradford. Oh no, not you two. You would think you two grown men had never been around women before. Calm down, the ladies are here, and Bradford will be here shortly. Okay, but give me an update. What's your first impression of the women? Who's our next first lady of the city? You and Bradford must be thinking with the same brain. I'm not backing any of them, but I like Amber. There's something unique about her. Tiffany is trash, and Denise is a plain Jane. However, none of the ladies know Bradford is the mayor yet, so everything could change once they find out. Listen Sarah, I know you're not 100% in this. You're helping because of our argument, and I want to thank you. I've been thinking about our disagreement, and maybe I shouldn't have judged you so harshly. I wasn't in your shoes, and I'm sure it wasn't a decision you made lightly. You did what you thought was best. I'm sorry for holding your pass over your head. Can you forgive me? Sarah was sure Max wanted their relationship to return back to normal, but wasn't prepared to let him go scot-free. I appreciate the apology, but it wasn't necessary. Max, you failed to realize you've entered a new world, and I'm not talking about the bloodline. A select few control Philly, and trust me, they aren't playing by any moral rules you live by. I can guarantee there will be a time when you will have to break a few rules too, and giving Bradford a heads up is just the beginning. Mark my words, you'll do more when it's your back up against the wall. The warning went in one ear and out the other. He'd heard Sarah, but thought of himself as a man with faultless values and impeccable principles. He couldn't imagine any situation that would shake his moral stand, and in time, he hoped Sarah would see that, but in the meantime, he was willing to overlook her past transgressions. Sarah, you know I love you right? 
This argument shouldn't change a thing between us. Are we good? Sarah kissed Max but knew this conversation wasn't truly over, it would raise its ugly head again. But for now, she was willing to overlook his naive ideas. Yet, for her, something had indeed changed. She realized Max was a great supportive partner, but getting his hands dirty was another matter, and in her world, that could be the kiss of death. However, instead of driving her point home, she bit her tongue. I love you too. While Sarah and Max rekindled their love, Bradford was on the other side of town, frantically trying to get dressed. A lot was riding on tonight, and Bradford wanted to look his best. It would be his first encounter with his potential new bride, and you know what they say, first impressions are everything. Chapter 6, The Chosen With everything set for tonight, Bradford was back at his place, ruffling through his closet as his heart raced. He was usually calm, sometimes goofy, a little too brass, and more often than not too flirtatious but never frantic. Yet, tonight he felt very different. The quick dissolution of his marriage to Carmen and her big revelation of love for another had taken a heavy toll on him. On the outside, he tried to appear okay and in control, but his bruised ego and self-worth had taken a big hit, and the remainder of his self-confidence was at stake. As far as he was concerned, tonight was his last chance at redemption, and with the governor's race just around the corner, there was no time to waste. But it was more than that. His dreams of finally coming home to a loving wife might be in sight. Now you know Bradford's true secret. All he'd ever wanted was a loving spouse and someone to share his life with, and when he didn't get that with Carmen, flirtation became a bad habit. He was desperate to get it right this time around. He took a deep breath and hastily scanned the room, looking for something to calm his nerves. He wasn't a big drinker, but given the current situation, he thought a little liquid courage wouldn't hurt. In fact, he believed it was the only thing that could do the trick. Without wasting another moment, he walked over to the open liquor cabinet and poured himself a glass of brandy. The first drink stopped his hands from trembling, but it did nothing for his racing heart, so he quickly poured himself another drink. Meanwhile, back over at the Forester, Sarah and Max were dreading the next phase of the plan. Bradford wanted to meet each woman in their rooms, but Sarah thought that was too risky. She feared someone might see him and leak the information to a tabloid. So, reopening the 13th floor seemed like the only feasible option left. However, it would be the first time Sarah stepped foot in the room since Peachy's death, and Max was worried. Honey, maybe Bradford and the ladies should just meet at our place. You don't have to reopen the room. Absolutely not, Bradford won't be getting his freak on in our place. Plus, that damn Tiffany might steal something. Ah, come on Sarah, Bradford isn't as bad as you think. He wouldn't dare disrespect our place like that, but as for the women, you might be on to something. Don't worry, I'll be okay. It's time I faced the past anyway. After assuring Max she could handle returning to the room, they walked in. Sarah quickly walked over to the exact spot she'd found Peachy's body and stood. Tears welled up in her eyes. Max knew this was going to be tough, but Sarah was stubborn. He grabbed her hand and held it tight. To break the mood, he ran over to the strip pole and tried to recreate the night from a year ago. 
Sarah couldn't help but laugh. Silly, get down before you get caught. Just as the words rolled off Sarah's lips, Bradford walked in. What are you two up to? Nothing, we're just waiting for you of course. Are you ready to meet the ladies? Bro, I don't know why, but I'm nervous. Well, I never thought I would see the day our frisky mayor would be scared to meet a group of ladies. Pull yourself together. You're right, Sarah. I shouldn't be this nervous. Just give me a minute and another drink. I'll get it together, but who's coming first? Denise Thomas. Bradford took a deep breath and tried to muster up his confidence. Minutes later, Denise walked into the room. She looked like a fish out of water. The dress Sarah picked out for her was gorgeous, yet it didn't do anything to improve her awkward disposition, but Bradford was all smiles. He slowly walked over to introduce himself, but Denise cried. Oh my god, you're the mayor. What are you doing here? I'm your date. Are you surprised? Bradford took Denise's hand as Sarah and Max quietly left the room and headed to her office. Although they had finished their work for now, they knew they were in for a long night. An hour later, Bradford abruptly stuck his head into Sarah's office. What are you doing in here? Is the date over already? Yeah, Denise is nice, but she's not the woman for me. What happened? Man, talking with her was like pulling teeth. She just sat there, staring at me. I was running out of things to say. I did find out, she likes to volunteer at her church. Sarah couldn't control her giggles. I knew she was somebody's church auntie. Sarah, call the next girl. Uh, Bradford, stop calling them girls. These are grown-ass women. Since Denise threw a wet blanket on Bradford's mood, Sarah knew Tiffany would either give him a run for his money or cause him to call the whole thing off. As Tiffany walked in, she found Bradford sitting at a table with a fresh glass of brandy. When she noticed it was the mayor, she rubbed her hands together as if she just found her next meal ticket. Bradford wasn't impressed but motioned for her to sit. Well, look who we have here. You're the mayor. Yes, I'm sure you've heard about my divorce, but I don't want to remain single. So, I'm giving the dating scene a try. Trust me, I'm the right woman for you. I would look good on your arm, plus I'll do you right at night. Hold your horses, before we jump the broom, let's talk. Now Bradford knew how some of his jokes turned people off. Tiffany was just too forward, and the more they talked, the more Bradford lost interest. He looked down at his watch. It was 9.30. Tiffany, I hate to cut this short, but it's getting late, and I've got an early day tomorrow. It was nice meeting you, but I've got to go. I'll call you. However, Tiffany was determined not to let the mayor of Philadelphia slip through her fingers that easily. You're welcome to stay in my room. We can get the fun started tonight. Thanks for the offer, but that would be a bit inappropriate. We just met. Listen, Tiffany, I think you've got things wrong. I'm not looking for a one-night stand. Okay, handsome. Have it your way, but just let it be known. I'm waiting for your call. As she sashayed out of the room, Bradford dropped his head. He knew what Tiffany was all about from the moment she'd entered the room. There was no way in hell he could date her, let alone marry a woman like that. He walked back to Sarah's office. Hey, call the last woman. Hold on partner, not so fast. How did it go? Man, that girl is a gold digger. 
She would make my life miserable. Bradford, don't lose faith. Everything will be okay. He returned to his table with another glass of brandy. As the elevator doors opened, Amber stepped out. As she walked over, Bradford stood to his feet as she slowly stuck out her hand. Hello, I'm Amber Franklin, and you're the mayor. It's a pleasure to meet you. Bradford noticed Amber was surprised, but she kept her poise. In his head, he thought, now this is a lady. He quickly regrouped and said, Oh no, the pleasure is all mine. Please have a seat. I hope you don't mind me saying, but you're gorgeous. Thanks for the compliment and for sending me this dress. Sending you a dress? Yes. Didn't you send this dress? How did you know my size? Immediately, Bradford smiled. He'd realized the dresses were Sarah's handiwork. She was going the extra mile to help him. So, he quickly tried to clean up his surprised reaction. Oh yes. It almost slipped my mind, the dress. You're welcome. It looks beautiful on you. Amber knew it was her turn to pay Bradford a compliment. So with charm and grace, she purred. By the way, you clean up well too, but I have to admit, I wasn't expecting the mayor as my date tonight. Are you disappointed? Of course not, who would be disappointed sitting across from a handsome man? Let's get to know each other better. The potential for a new romance with Amber had Bradford smitten. But it goes without saying, the party was just getting started, and this was just the tip of the iceberg. Chapter 7, You're Fired In the wee hours of the morning, Bradford finally ended his date with Amber and walked into Sarah's office with a big goofy smile plastered on his face. Before anyone could get a word out, Bradford started professing his attraction to Amber. Sarah, you were right. Amber's the one. She's gorgeous, poised, graceful and easy to talk to. I didn't want the night to end. I take it the date went well, but I have a question. Does Amber like you back? Bradford took a pause. He couldn't fathom what Sarah was alluding to, but the question rubbed his ego the wrong way. He thought, did I miss something? For the next few moments, he had to think back on all the times he caught Amber smiling at him, or how she'd softly caressed his hand. Surely that meant something. Yeah, I think so. I enjoyed the time we spent together. We had a wonderful conversation, and we have a lot in common. Plus, she's already agreed to a second date. The public will love her. Hold on, lover boy. You can't just bring a new love interest on the public. Agreeing to a second date is a move in the right direction, but you're moving too fast. Amber needs a proper introduction, and it needs to appear natural. Are you certain Amber is the woman for you? Because you won't get a second chance at this. Sarah, you're worrying again. It's Amber. If that's the case, you need to say goodbye to the other two. Uh, Sarah, I was hoping you would do that for me. Me? Why do I have to dump your losers? I think I'm going to pass on that one. Ah, uh, come on, Sarah. This situation needs a woman's touch. Max knew some charming persuasion was in order. He quickly started massaging Sarah's shoulders. His touch always seemed to butter her up. She looked up at him with a smirk. So you two are ganging up on me?
Both of you are pressing your luck. In unison and on cue, both men begged. Honey, please. Yeah, please help me. It only took a minute for her to realize the guys were right. Denise wouldn't cause a problem, but handling that damn Tiffany was another matter. Bradford may be a recovering flirt, but managing Tiffany might cause a relapse. It was best to keep them as far apart as possible. Okay, I'll do it, but give me $5,000. Wait a minute, you were charging me? Sarah, I thought we were friends. No, silly. The money isn't for me, it's for Tiffany. You know that girl wants money. It's the best way to buy her silence. Yeah, you have a point. I'll have the cash dropped off in the morning. And if Tiffany does decide to spill her guts to a tabloid, we can just deny everything. Don't worry, Bradford, she won't talk. I'll make sure she takes the money and run. As for Amber's introduction, give me a few days to think it over. I'll come up with a plan. Immediately, Max was concerned about how Sarah was going to handle Tiffany. He didn't know what she meant by her firm statement, but he was sure it was nothing good, and the tone of her voice confirmed that. However, Max wasn't about to discuss the matter in Bradford's presence. Instead, he decided it was a good idea to bite his tongue for now. Nevertheless, with the next steps of the plan out of the way, they all left the room to retire for the night, but sleep wasn't in the cards for Max and Sarah. He was gearing up for another heart-to-heart -heart conversation, but as soon as they entered the penthouse, they were interrupted by a ringing phone. That could only mean one thing. Something was wrong. Sarah rushed to answer the phone, as Max stood and watched her body language. Talk to me. Ms. Rubin, sorry to call you at this hour, but we have a problem. The woman in 1101 is wandering through the hotel. We've tried several times to get her back to her room, but she refuses. Sarah hung up the phone and turned to Max with a stern look. It's that damn Tiffany. She's on the loose. Go to bed. I'll take care of Tiffany. Are you sure? Yes, how hard could it be to get the woman back into her room? Max strutted out of the room with confidence and headed toward Tiffany's last known location. He found her sitting in the lobby as if waiting on her next client. He politely walked over and took a seat next to her. His mother always told him, son, honey attracts more bees. So, he laid the charm on thick. Are you having trouble sleeping? No. I was trying to catch up with the mayor. Max smiled. He realized reasoning with her wouldn't work, so he lied. He knew it was the quickest way to get her out of the lobby. Tiffany the mayor left hours ago. Damn it. I wanted another run at the man. She moved in close. Too close for Max's comfort, and then she purred. You know, no guy can resist all of this. What are you up to tonight? Before Max could answer her, her hand landed on his knee. Now he saw what Bradford was talking about. She was too forward, but the look in her eyes said something different. Nevertheless, he kept a stoic face and quickly moved her hand from his knee. I think you should head back to your room. Tomorrow is another day. Why wait for tomorrow when you can join me tonight? That wouldn't be a good idea. My girlfriend would kill us both. Tiffany laughed the warning off and rubbed her hand down Max's chest. If you change your mind, I'm in room 1101. In the morning, Sarah headed to Tiffany's room. 
It was time to give the girl her walking papers before she pounced on the next man she saw. Sarah knocked on the door several times, but no one answered. Please, don't tell me this damn girl found a victim. Sarah wanted her out of the hotel in the worst way. So, she took a deep breath, used the master code, and entered the room. Chapter 8, Time to Check Out Sarah cautiously entered Tiffany's room, hoping not to see something she couldn't erase from her memory, but to her surprise, she found the ghetto princess fast asleep. After running amok all night, it was no doubt in her mind the troublemaker had to be exhausted. She was relieved there wasn't another issue in the making, but yet, she had a weird strong urge to pay her back for all the problems she'd already caused, and now was the perfect opportunity to even the score. Imagining pulling Tiffany out of her peaceful sleep and watching her face hit the ground after giving her her walking papers put a slightly devilish smile on Sarah's face, but it felt too petty. She wasn't willing to stoop that low, and it most definitely wouldn't live up to Max's moral standards. Plus, Tiffany needed to be wide awake to heed the warning she was about to throw down. She knew Tiffany had a warped way of interpreting things, or what some would call a uniquely trifling outlook on life, but she wanted to make it clear, enforcing her warning was guaranteed. With that in mind, Sarah quietly closed the door and headed to Denise's room instead. Sarah knocked on the door as Denise slowly pried the door open, revealing a slightly relieved look to see her and not someone else. It was clear the woman hadn't been to sleep all night. Yet, what alarmed Sarah more was that urgent look plastered across her face, like she had something to get off her chest. Reading her body language and noticing that frightening look in her eyes, Sarah knew there had to be a problem. She was half afraid to ask what it was, but curiosity always gets the cat. Denise, are you okay? Did something happen during the night? Denise avoided direct eye contact with Sarah. Instead, she looked down at the floor, which only confirmed something was wrong. Sarah walked over to the corner of the room and sat in an empty chair. Okay, what's going on? Let me help you. Immediately, tears welled up in Denise's eyes, but her mouth wasn't moving. Sarah gently grabbed her hand. Denise, you're making me worry. Did someone do something to you? What the hell is going on? Finally, Denise cried out. I don't like him. After a deep sigh of relief, Sarah realized there wasn't a real problem after all, although she couldn't let on that was the case. From the very first day she saw the woman, she knew she wasn't up for the challenge. However, telling Denise she was already off the hook just wasn't smart. It was easier to let her run with the current narrative. So, Sarah played along. It's okay. No one's forcing you to date the mayor. Denise looked relieved to hear Sarah's answer, but her voice still trembled with fear. Can I leave now? I just want to go home. Of course you can. No one's holding you hostage. Immediately, Sarah reached for the phone and called the front desk. Hello, front desk. How may I help you? It's Sarah. Ms. Thomas will be checking out. Have someone help her with her bags. Frantically, Denise started throwing clothes into her luggage like her panties were on fire. This is no reflection on your hotel, but this was a mistake from the start. No offense, taken. I completely understand. Bradford isn't everyone's cup of tea. 
With Denise running for the hills, Sarah took a deep breath and walked towards Amber's room, hoping she didn't have a change of heart too. It would be a shame to come this far and have their plans fail, especially since Bradford was already smitten with the woman and the clock was still ticking. As Sarah reached the door, Amber opened it without her knocking. At first, it startled her, but Amber's warm smile and pleasant greeting eased her nerves. Good morning. Sarah returned the pleasantries, walked in, and took a seat. She found it hard not to like Amber, but the more they interacted, the more things felt slightly off. Sarah couldn't put her finger on what felt weird, but it was something. She was just too good to be true, and Sarah was determined to get some answers. I hope you slept well. Yes, I did. You have a beautiful hotel. So, I heard your date with the mayor went great, but I have a question, that is if you don't mind. Sure, ask me anything. Why did you put your profile on a mail-order bride website? The question was blunt and straight to the point. Even the most poised and charming woman couldn't wiggle out of this direct question, but Sarah waited to see if Amber would try. Amber hesitated for a few moments. So, what's your story? I'm all ears. Desperation. I grew up in India. My mother's family was poor, but that didn't stop my father's attraction to her. He always said my mother was the most beautiful woman he'd ever laid eyes on. He was American, working for a big tech company station in India. They dated for a while, but things got serious when she got pregnant with me. When my dad's work visa expired, authorities forced him to return to the States. I was about 10. He tried to get the necessary documents for me and my mother to travel with him, but the system worked against us. So, we remained in India. However, separation was just the tip of the iceberg. We had no idea the worst was coming. He traveled back and forth, for a while, but things weren't the same. He couldn't remain in India, and we couldn't go to America. Nevertheless, we made the best of the situation until he died. His friend said his death was from a broken heart, but we found out later, it was cancer. The money he sent over monthly stopped immediately, and we were left to fend for ourselves. My mother tried to keep us afloat by working her fingers to the bone, but poverty found us again. Before I knew it, she was gone too. After my 25th birthday, my only dream was to get to America. I had two girlfriends with the same ambitions. So, we pulled our pennies together and finally made the journey. I thought proving my father was American would allow me to stay, but that wasn't the case. Don't get me wrong. I'm legal now, but I'm at the end of my 10-year work visa. The family curse is repeating itself. Yet my friends weren't so lucky. They couldn't get a work visa and we learned the only legal way for them to stay was to get married. That's when we found the mail-order bride website. They decided it was their best chance to stay in America. They knew it was risky, but if they met decent men, it would be like hitting the lottery. Where are your friends now? One got horrible news and quickly returned home. The other got married a few years ago. I don't want to return to India, and since the website worked for one of my friends, I decided to sign up too. Amber's answer didn't send up any red flags. In a way, it put Sarah's mind slightly at ease. If that was Amber's only secret, the group had nothing to worry about. So, she got up, slowly walked towards Amber, and gently grabbed her hand. Although Bradford is the mayor, and his reputation sometimes precedes him, he's a decent guy. 
he won't hold your situation against you. Trust me, he likes you and has the pull to cut your red tape. Amber smiled, not knowing what to say next, but Sarah honestly didn't expect a response. She knew Amber didn't have a clue about the world she was walking into, but felt like she was more than capable of handling it. However, the urge to step back from Bradford's love life grew for Sarah. It started to feel like she was in the mayor's back pocket. Every time she completed a task, another one popped up, with Max and Bradford goading her to do more. She owed the mayor nothing. It wouldn't be easy, but she needed to find a way out of Bradford's mess before it ruined her reputation. Chapter 9, On to the Next Phase Since Sarah desperately wanted out of Bradford's messy and complicated love life, she needed to act quickly and proceed with the next phase of the plan. However, there was still one thing standing in the way. Before she could do anything else, she had to get rid of that damn menacing Tiffany. It was time for the girl to go. Everyone knew Tiffany was street smart, a bit too sneaky, and definitely too thirsty for anyone's liking, and none of them wanted to give her more leverage than she already had. So, handling Tiffany directly was a no-go. Plus, Sarah had Max to worry about. She knew if she didn't keep her hands clean, she'd better get ready for another uncomfortable moral debate with Max. So, Bradford wasn't the only one who should avoid the troublemaker. They all needed to steer clear of Tiffany with a 10-foot pole. With Sarah's original thoughts on how to handle Tiffany out the window, it was time to enact Plan B. She had no choice but to call in the fixers, Depending on the situation, a fixer could be anyone from a cop to a local thug. Yet, what they had in common was doing Sarah's bidding. Wanting to handle the situation quickly, Sarah enlisted the help of two local thugs who had done work for her in the past. Within an hour, the guys were at the Forrester Hotel. As the two men slowly entered the room, Sarah dropped a large envelope containing the money Bradford had supplied on the desk. Okay fellas. I've got some trash in my hotel. You know the deal. Here's the master code for the room. Remove the woman as quietly as you can, and put her on the first thing smoking with instructions not to return. And guys, use whatever force you deem fit. The guys didn't hesitate to take the job and rose to their feet. Ms. Rubin, you know we've got you covered. Yeah, this is easy work. We'll take care of this immediately. The two men waited for nightfall before heading to Tiffany's room. Since she'd slept the better part of the day away, she was now in the shower, no doubt preparing for another late-night prowl. One man entered the room, unbeknownst to Tiffany, and sat on the edge of the bed, while the other waited just outside the door. As Tiffany left the bathroom, she saw the strange man sitting on the bed. Her heart immediately flew into a panic. She knew the room was empty just a few minutes ago, but now there was a guy who looked like a gangster ready to handle some business. The only thing she could think to do was yell. Who the hell are you? And how did you get into my room? The guy laughed and stared at the towel covering Tiffany's body. They both knew she was in no position to be making any demands. Does any of that really matter? Tiffany looked down at her towel as her body shook with fear. Don't worry, I'm not here for that. I have a message and a package for you. The guy tossed an envelope full of money toward Tiffany. It landed by her feet, but she was afraid to pick it up. 
Go ahead, pick it up. The money's yours. Who sent it? Again, with all the questions, it doesn't matter who sent the money. It's the message that's important. Get dressed and pack your bags. We're going on a road trip. I'm not going anywhere with you. The man clapped his hands and smiled. Are you sure about that? The second thug entered the room on cue. Tiffany didn't know what was happening, but it was clear the men meant business. She quickly grabbed some clothes and walked back into the bathroom. The men calmly escorted Tiffany through the hotel without incident and shuffled her into an awaiting car. Still afraid, Tiffany asked again. What is this all about? It's $5,000 and a train ticket out of town in that envelope. Forget you ever met the mayor. Believe it or not, Tiffany quietly did as instructed. With Tiffany out of the way, it was time for the group to focus all their energy on Amber, yet the biggest obstacle remained. What was the best way to introduce her to the public? They all knew she just couldn't appear out of thin air. They needed to derive a believable story. The situation required a delicate touch, or should we say, this was another task for Sarah. She knew every piece of this crazy puzzle needed to fall into the right place at the right time. If they introduced Amber too fast, people would believe she'd been waiting in the background while Bradford was still married to Carmen. She would never get first lady respect that way. Pressures were mounting, and stress was at an all-time high. So, while Max was at work, Sarah called Bradford and Amber, the two love-struck conspirators, to her penthouse. Amber arrived first. Sarah opened the door and welcomed her in with a smile. As Amber walked in, she suddenly stopped and stared at a large framed picture hanging on the wall. Immediately, alarm bells rang in Sarah's head, and that feeling she couldn't put her finger on was back. She remained frozen in place as she saw the puzzled look growing in Amber's eyes. Her heart began to race while she waited to see what Amber would do next. Amber's eyes sparkled as she reached for a locket hidden under her shirt. Sarah watched as she slowly pried the locket open. On one side of the locket was a picture of her dear parents, but on the other side, she revealed the same symbol engraved on the picture hanging in Sarah's home. As Sarah saw the symbol she gasped, fell against the wall, and slid to the floor. She didn't know what to think, but seeing the forbidden symbol in Amber's locket knocked the air out of her chest. Amber frantically looked around the penthouse, desperately looking for a phone to call for help. But Sarah stopped her from reaching the phone with a yell. Don't move another inch. In a panic, Amber shouted back. Are you all right? Should I get you a glass of water? Yes, that might help. As Amber scrambled around the penthouse in search of the kitchen, it gave Sarah a few moments to think. When Amber returned with a glass of water, she asked. What happened? Are you okay? With her eyes focused on the locket, Sarah cried. Where did you get that necklace? It's an heirloom. It's been in my family for years. Why? Sarah stared at Amber, hoping there was more to the story, but Amber didn't flinch, as if she didn't know the symbol's significance. She whispered. I knew there was something special about you from the moment I laid eyes on you. Amber looked puzzled. Nothing was making sense. She didn't have a clue what Sarah was talking about. What's special about me, and what does it have to do with my locket? One random thought after another ran through Sarah's head. How could another bloodline heir be running the streets of Philly? And whose bloodline did she belong to? More importantly, was she good or evil?
Chapter 10, Who Are You? This first face-to-face -face encounter with another bloodline heir was weird, and Sarah didn't know how to approach the situation. Of course, she knew other heirs existed, but that didn't stop the energy in the room from growing palpable as questions filled her head. Did Amber pose a threat, or was she a potential ally? Sarah didn't want to hurt her, but was also determined to protect herself by any means necessary. She needed more information before making a drastic mistake. However, Amber's clueless reaction and harmless demeanor to the whole exchange felt genuine, like she really didn't know what the symbol meant. In a firm voice, Sarah demanded answers. What biblical bloodline do you belong to? The question caught Amber off guard, and Sarah's tone scared the hell out of her. She didn't know how to answer the question. So, she looked down at the locket, knowing it was at the center of it all, but didn't say anything. Sarah pointed to the painting on the wall and yelled. That's the same symbol engraved in your locket. Listen, we don't have a lot of time. The mayor is on his way. So tell me now, what bloodline do you belong to? Amber looked like a deer in headlights, still not knowing what to say. As fear rose in her chest, Sarah blurted out. I'm the descendant of Samson and Delilah. Her words hit Amber like a ton of bricks. Are you referring to the people from the Bible? Yes, now who the hell are you? And what can you do? What do you mean, what can I do? Nothing, as far as I know. Why do you think I'm a descendant too? Sarah was growing impatient. There was no time for unnecessary chit-chat, Bradford was due to show up at any second. She realized there was only one way to get the conversation started. Abruptly, Sarah jumped into action by walking to the sofa. With one hand, she raised the couch over her head. As the sofa hovered in the air, she huffed. Every person of a bloodline has a gift, and only those with a gift have the symbol. Amber's eyes fluttered and her mouth flew open as she quickly sat on the floor, scared to utter a word. After lowering the sofa to the floor, Sarah cleared her throat and straightened her clothes, convinced Amber really didn't know she was an heir of the bloodline. However, that didn't change a thing. How could she let Bradford unknowingly marry an heir? Especially not knowing what the woman could do. Yes, Max knew the whole assorted details, but Bradford was no Max, and there was no guarantee he would hold their secrets. Amber's involvement with the mayor could expose both of them. Sarah knew her frightening disposition wasn't helping matters, but she was eager to get to the truth. She had to calm down and regain control over the situation. After taking a few deep breaths, she cried in a calm voice. I'm not going to hurt you. Let's start from the beginning. How did the locket get into your possession? Amber noticed the mood shift and began talking. My mother gave it to me from her deathbed. As far as I know, she received it from my grandmother. She never said anything about a biblical bloodline. It's just a family heirloom. Did your mother or grandmother have any special abilities? Or could they do something you thought was strange? No, or at least nothing I thought was out of the norm. Okay. Maybe I'm using the wrong word. It could be something more subtle than a supernatural ability. Is there anything about yourself you consider slightly weird? Not really. I do have vivid dreams, 
but doesn't everyone? Having dreams, yes, but describing them as vivid, no. What sort of vivid dreams are we talking about? As Amber started to explain, both women heard a knock at the door. They knew it was Bradford. Sarah took a deep sigh and turned to Amber. Listen, Bradford doesn't know anything about the bloodline. Keep it that way. Amber nodded, but that wasn't good enough for Sarah. She leaned in and said again. No one is to know anything about the bloodline, am I clear? Yes, I understand. Sarah walked to the door and welcomed in the mayor as if nothing had happened. With a slight smile, Amber tried to play along while the clueless Bradford strolled into the room like he was the man of the hour. As Bradford and Amber greeted each other, Max walked in right behind him. Sarah quickly pulled him to the side and whispered. We have another problem. What did Bradford do now? No, it's not Bradford. It's Amber. Amber, what did she do? I can't explain now, but we'll talk later. Just act like everything is okay for now. But keep your eyes open. They both rejoined Amber and Bradford's conversation with fake smiles and laughter. Max chuckled. It's time to get down to business. Do we have a plan? A plan for what? Sweetheart, it's just a bit of red tape. We're planning your grand introduction to the people of Philadelphia. Well, I was thinking, with Christmas just around the corner, a holiday gala could be the solution. Hear me out. We'll invite all the movers and shakers in the city. Amber will come with me as my friend from out of town. You know, visiting for the holidays. I'll introduce her to you, and you'll do what you normally do in the company of a beautiful woman. There will be no questions on how the two of you met, and everyone will bear witness to love at first sight. Max laughed. That's a great plan. Wait a minute, I don't understand. Why do we need to put on a show? Can't Bradford just hold a press conference or something? Sarah smirked. This is politics, my dear, and controlling the narrative is important. If you want to be accepted, your love story should appear natural and spontaneous. I'll have the news station cover the event. We'll catch the whole love story unfolding on camera. Bradford laughed. You know, you two are something else but work well together. I don't know how I would have worked this out without your help. While Max and Bradford crossed their fingers, hoping the coming days were smooth sailing, for the first time throughout the process, Amber felt she was in over her head, and not because of her budding relationship with Bradford. The mystery surrounding her undisclosed bloodline and the revelation behind the symbol caused both ladies to be anxiously worried about the future. Chapter 11, A New Heir Amber wasn't happy with the whole plot to deceive the public. The deception felt unnecessary, especially because she was already smitten with the mayor, and as for Bradford, it was clear, he adored her too. Their relationship was moving fast, but for all parties involved, it felt right. 
yet the politics of the matter was a different story for Amber. Conniving, forming false narratives, and deceiving the public were all new to her, so she felt it was best to keep her concerns to herself. As the group's secret meeting ended, Bradford confidently headed back to City Hall while Amber, filled with gloom, returned to her room. With the two lovebirds out of the way, Max and Sarah finally had a chance to discuss the new situation. Max couldn't fathom what Amber could have done but was eager and a little anxious to hear the new developments. Sarah on the other hand, wished Amber's big secret was a nightmare that would just vanish into thin air, but she knew that wasn't likely. Sarah walked towards the rooftop, dreading the conversation, as Max followed closely behind her. As she swung open the oversized glass doors, the crisp breeze hit them both in the face. The rush of cold air was jarring but felt like a breath of fresh air nevertheless. Quickly Sarah wrapped her arms around herself as Max swiftly slid behind her, as if right on cue. She leaned back onto his chest and took a long sigh. In a calm voice, he whispered. Okay, now we can talk. What's the trouble involving Amber? Max had become a rock and trusted confidant. She couldn't imagine life without him, but it still amazed her how well he accepted her story without batting an eye. Now she had to tell him another heir was running the streets of Philly, and the heir was about to marry his friend. I think you need to sit down first. He saw the worried look on her face and felt her heart racing. The moment put an uneasy feeling in his chest. He sat down and echoed. Is it really that bad? Now was not the time to be beating around bushes, and that wasn't Sarah's personality anyway, so she took a deep breath and blurted out. Amber's just like me. She's a bloodline heir, but we're not from the same line. Immediately the revelation caught Max off guard. The air in his lungs caused him to choke, and he dropped his head. He didn't know what to say at first, but finally stuttered. What, are you sure? He held his breath, trying to stop choking and prepared himself for the rest of the story. Yes, I'm sure. The girl has the mark. Wait a minute. You're losing me. What mark? Sarah quickly pointed inside the penthouse to the painting on the wall. That symbol. It's the mark of the bloodline. You've never told me anything about that painting. Only heirs carry the mark of the bloodline, but whose bloodline she belongs to is still a mystery. Hang on. You mean to tell me some descendants don't know their heirs? Yes. I grew up knowing my connection to Samson and Delilah, but my gift was hard to hide, yet that's not true for all heirs. Some abilities have woven themselves into the fabric of modern society. In other words, some heirs are hiding in plain sight. A long time ago, my grandmother sat me down and explained why some people purposely didn't tell their children about their biblical connections, but that's a story for another time. Right now, we need to focus on Amber. Immediately, with a puffed-out chest and standing on his imaginary moral high ground, Max yelled. We have to tell Bradford. We can't let him walk into this situation blind. Are you crazy? You act as if you don't know Bradford. He will use the information to his advantage and expose us all. Calm down Sarah. You've made your point, and you might be right, but you're putting me in a tricky position. I don't think we should let Bradford marry her. Why not? I'm convinced she's not dangerous. And she's willing to hide the truth from him. Besides, how can we stop the marriage without a plausible explanation? Trust me, the less he knows, the better we'll all be. 
don't worry, everything will be okay. Are you sure? What else can we do? By the way, what's her gift? She doesn't know. Her parents not only hid her secret from the world, but her too. But don't worry, we're working on it. Like a ton of bricks fell on his head, Max finally realized every person mentioned in the Bible could have an heir walking around in our modern world. A weird look appeared on his face indicating another problem on the rise. Sarah crossed her arms and waited for him to speak. I guess you're right about how to handle Bradford, but we have another problem. I've seen that symbol before. Sarah gasped and took a few steps back. Where, and why didn't you tell me that before now? I didn't know the symbol was important, plus I can't remember where I saw it. Whenever anxiety is involved, time seems to fly by at lightning speed. Two months before Christmas turned into two days, and everything had to fall into place for the plan to work. Bradford was still in the dark about everything, and although Sarah had been watching Amber closely, she still couldn't pinpoint her supernatural ability. It was the only way to figure out her bloodline, but time was running out. The night of the gala, everyone's nervous tension was getting the better of them. The ladies dressed in the penthouse so that they could arrive at the party together while Max and Bradford headed off to City Hall. Amber was extra nervous, and rightly so. It was her big night, but she couldn't shake off a horrible dream from the previous night. Sarah watched as Amber jittered around the room. She was also a bit anxious, but since something else was up with her. Amber, are you okay? Would you like a glass of sherry to calm your nerves? No, alcohol may make things worse, but I have something to confess. Okay, what is it? I had another weird dream last night, but the dream wasn't like the others. Normally, in my dreams, I'm watching from the sidelines. However, in this dream, I was running for my life. I saw two armed men entering the party tonight. When I yelled, the gun went off. As I turned, I saw Bradford hit the floor. I ran towards him but it felt like someone was holding me back. You know, I've never asked, have any of your dreams ever come true? Yes, all of them. Finally, all the pieces of the puzzle were falling into place. Sarah could have kicked herself for not asking that question earlier. She thought Amber's dreams were more like nightmares, not visions, but now she knew the answer to the question that eluded them for months. Amber was the heir of Esther. Sit down. We need to talk. You might have just saved the mayor's life. Do you know the biblical story of Esther? Yes, the woman who told the king an assassin was coming to kill him? Correct. The way you met Bradford is very similar. There were other women here the day you met, and he chose you. It appears you have the gift of foresight. Your dreams are windows into the future. We're going to need backup. Let me make a few phone calls. Are you canceling the party? No. I can't do that. We don't have the luxury of canceling the biggest event of the year, and more importantly, we need to capture the men after Bradford. He won't be safe until we do. The best thing we can do now is be on the ready. Chapter 12, Deceiving the Populace After Sarah made a few phone calls, Amber and Sarah headed off to City Hall for the event of the year. The unbearable lingering wait was over, but with the new information from Amber's prophecy, the ladies were uncertain and slightly worried about what would happen next. 
Nevertheless, as they walked into the gala, right on cue, everyone stopped what they were doing to watch their grand entrance. Amber felt a little surprised by all the attention, but this was common ground for Sarah. She gave Amber a reassuring wink, hoping it would calm her nerves, but really, the only thing on Sarah's mind was getting next to Max to tell him about the new developments. As planned, the two women quickly posed for a few photos and greeted some guests, while trying to act as if nothing was underfoot. That was Max's cue to give his co-worker the secret signal. The news crew jumped into action. The cameraman positioned himself, while the reporter grabbed his mic and posed the question on everyone's mind. Uh, excuse me Ms. Rubin, the people would like to know, who's your friend? Sarah smiled, calmly grabbed Amber's hand, and with all ears listening, laid the foundation of the first fictitious narrative of the story. This is Amber Franklin, one of my best friends from out of town. It's wonderful she could join us tonight. As soon as Sarah finished answering the question, Bradford walked over, just as planned, and whisked Sarah off to the dance floor. It was time for the first dance of the night, and the capturing of the future retelling of his love story. After confusing the guests for a few minutes, Max glided across the room and interrupted the dance. The crowd fell silent, holding their breath, unsure if an altercation was about to kick off. Everyone knew Max and Sarah were an item and wondered why the mayor was dancing with her. But little did they know, they were all falling head first for the deception. While everyone waited for a heated exchange, the mayor smiled and graciously handed Sarah off to Max. Sarah knew she didn't have much time to tell Max about Amber's vision, so as they danced, she whispered. We have a problem. Bradford's in serious trouble. Immediately, Max sensed the urgency and tension in Sarah's voice, but since all eyes were on them, he tried his best to remain composed. He whispered back. What's wrong? I can't explain all the details now, but someone has a hit out on Bradford, and it's going down tonight. Max gripped the small of Sarah's back as adrenaline rushed through his body. He couldn't believe his ears and thought, who on earth wanted to kill Bradford? And for what? Despite the new obstacle, the duo knew they couldn't stop the show. So, while Bradford scanned the room for a new dance partner, Max and Sarah continued with their part of the distraction. Of course, all eligible women in the room struck a fierce pose and stuck out their breasts as Bradford passed them. Still unaware his life was in danger, he felt the opportunity to tease the women was too good to pass up. Fortunately, he regained his senses, remembered the mission, and finally stopped in front of Amber. Trying to play bashful, Bradford reached out his hand, and Amber gracefully put her hand in his. That was the secret cue Max and Sarah were waiting for. It was time to turn up the heat and make the new couple the center of attention. Max dropped Sarah into a dramatic dip, and as the crowd clapped, they exit stage left, leaving the dance floor open for the next part of the show. As Sarah left the dance floor, she quickly scrutinized the room, checking to see if the plan was working, and from what she could see, everything was just fine. Deceiving the populace was a success, but now they had to turn their focus on saving Bradford's life. While everyone watched Amber grace the dance floor and witnessed the beginning of the mayor's redemption to love, other couples began to join them. With the party officially on track, Sarah now had the chance to fill Max in on the rest of the plot to kill the mayor. We've figured out Amber's bloodline. She's the heir of Esther, with the gift of foresight, and she's had a vision. Two gunmen will try and take Bradford out tonight. But why? Who do you think is behind this? Is it Tiffany? Tiffany? Heavens no. 
she's probably standing on somebody's corner as we speak. She doesn't have the power to pull something like this off, but the grants are another matter. I knew they were too quiet for comfort. Max made an abrupt motion for the center of the room, but Sarah stopped him. Max, what do you think you're doing? We can't leave Bradford in the center of the room. He's fine. Look around the room. We have plenty of backup. Max quickly looked around the room and saw a few familiar faces that weren't the cops. Sarah whispered. Remember, we still have a mission to complete. While Bradford was having the time of his life, the other three had their heads on a swivel. They were sitting on pins and needles but didn't have to wait much longer for the fireworks to begin. Just by chance, as Sarah turned and looked towards the door, she saw a strange man slink into the room. She immediately poked Max in his side and said, Heads up, they're here. Sarah's shoulders tightened. Max could see the veins in her neck flexing. He'd only seen her in action once, but imagine Samson was about to reveal himself. He calmly rubbed her back and cried. Let security handle them. You can't release Samson in here. As the warning left Max's lips, a second strange man slivered into the room. Finally, Sarah motioned for security to get ready. The mayor was now in imminent danger, and there was no time to waste. Unaware they'd already been clocked, the men suspiciously circled the room, trying to get the best angle to take Bradford out. Sarah knew it was time to stop the party and gave the signal. Without hesitating for a moment, security abruptly sprung into action. Two guards swiftly ran over to Bradford and Amber and whisked them off the dance floor, while the other guards grabbed the suspected gunman. Although a little startled, Bradford understood the urgency of the situation and refrained from asking any questions. Chaos quickly ensued as people scrambled for their lives. Everyone was in the dark, but they knew the energy in the room had definitely changed. Security quickly shuffled Bradford and Amber into a back room and wrestled the two hitmen into another. Safely locked into the room, Bradford immediately turned to Amber and asked, Are you okay? To Bradford, Amber looked too upset to answer. Little did he know she was just relieved her prophecy hadn't come to pass. Instead of uttering a word, she threw her arms around his neck with all her might and planted a big kiss on his lips. With Bradford out of harm's way, Sarah and Max casually walked into the room holding the gunman. Max didn't know what Sarah would do, but he was concerned. Thankfully, as he looked at her, she nodded for him to take the lead. Who sent you? Neither man seemed willing to answer the question. They looked at each other as if they were prepared for their doomed fate, yet, remained silent. Sarah's frustrations grew as the defiant men refused to answer any questions thrown at them. She yelled. Just call the police, maybe they can get something out of these fools. Max knew Sarah wouldn't let the matter rest that easily. He suspected she had something else up her sleeve, he couldn't imagine what, but he reckoned it wasn't good. Yet, curiosity always killed the cat, and he finally asked. Do I want to know what you're up to? No, not really, you wouldn't approve. As the police arrived, Sarah pulled one of the officers to the side. Max watched in horror, seeing with his own eyes how easy it was for her to slip between good and evil. He knew desperate times called for desperate measures, but her actions were beginning to scare him. As the cops escorted the gunman out, Sarah and Max walked to the safe room holding Bradford and Amber. Max yelled, Mayor, the threat has been neutralized. 
Bradford took a deep breath and quickly grabbed Amber's hand. In a calming tone, he whispered, We're safe now. After reassuring Amber, he turned to Sarah and asked, Do we know what happened? In an optimistic voice, she replied, No. The police will have to investigate the matter, but don't worry about it, I'll take care of everything. Amber, come with me. Sarah sensed the events of the night were more than Amber bargained for and wanted to talk with her alone. Are you really okay? Yes, I'm okay, but I'm glad this is over. Sarah chuckled. Over? Honey, this is only the beginning. You're going to be the first lady of the state. You better buckle up for the roller coaster ride. The state? Yes, Bradford's the mayor now, but he'll be the governor soon. As the excitement of the day came to an end, Max and Sarah returned to the forester. Sarah, are you too tired to talk? No, what's on your mind? Well, we dodged a big bullet tonight. Don't you think? Yes, but I'm afraid it's not over. What do you mean by that? I know the Grants are behind the head on Bradford, but I sense there's more behind it. Are you going to tell Bradford your suspicion about the Grants? No. We can handle the Grants. I was referring to Amber. Do you realize this is the first time I've ever met another heir face-to-face? -face? I have a feeling there's something else going on. Like what? Think Max. Not all the figures in the Bible were good, and for some reason, Philadelphia has turned into ground zero. More are coming. I can feel it. <laughs>